Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and the profit line. I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I created my first business, Honeycombers, when I was at the tender age of 28. And that business is a lifestyle guide to Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali, and now employs over 30 people across four countries. Last year, I founded a new business called Launchpad, which is a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. Launchpad has members across six countries and runs around about 30 events every month. We run masterclasses, coaching and connection calls, as well as peer group sessions. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet and profit line together to build better businesses. What does it really take to create a heart-led business? Join me and together we're going to find out. Before I get into it, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm recording this podcast on, Bundjalung Country. I pay my respects to the elders past and present, and I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. Okay, let's get into it. Have you ever thought about what happens to leftover bread at the end of the day from bakeries? Well, Anushka Parohit did. Anushka is our guest today, and she saw tons of bread being thrown out, and she decided to find a way to rescue it and reuse it. She created a beer company that makes beer out of bread called Bria. She's a very young entrepreneur. She's only just turned 23, and she has a number of wins under her belt, from winning competitions to winning funding to winning AmCham's Hong Kong Young Achiever of the Year Award, she has achieved a lot. And if this wasn't enough, she's already founded three other companies, StayK, Base.HK, and Some Cosmetics, which she runs with her mum. She also hosts a podcast called Reality. I'm so excited to have Anushka here today. She also is a Launchpad member and has been a member from the very beginning and has been a wonderful support to our community in Hong Kong. So I can't wait to jump into this episode and I'm sure you're going to love it. Anushka, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having me, Chris. Super excited to speak to you. Oh, me too. Me too. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty, because that you truly have accomplished tons, I want to ask you about your motto, always be mad, meaning making a difference. I absolutely love this. How did it come about? So I think the first bit, the actual mad, is just a testament of my personality. So when I was a kid or even now, I'm a big fan of all these gregarious, huge, over-the-top kind of performances. And so I just always thought it's important for me, at least, to embrace that aspect of me. So I thought if it's just a part of the way I live, then no one can judge me for it because I'm so happy and being crazy. But the second part of it, the making a difference bit, I think came a little later when I realized that having the ability to be that crazy and be that mad is also in some way a privilege in itself. Not everybody has the you know, flexibility or even the environment where they can make some crazy decisions and people applaud them for it instead of laud them for 
for it. And so I thought that it's important for me to balance the two. So while I am going out there and trying to do crazy things and embracing that part of my personality, I wanted to make sure at the same time I'm helping those who might not have that ability and then give back in the process. So making a difference. And did this sense of color and freeness that you have, did this come from the way you were brought up? What's given you permission to be this creative? Definitely. I would 100% attribute it to the way I've grown up because sometimes I think about alternate realities and what my life could have been had I been born somewhere else, had I been living somewhere else. And I think a very big part of the freedom, the opportunity, the understanding of hustle and struggle came from the fact that my dad and my mom made the decision to leave India, their home country, and really get out of their comfort zone, move to Hong Kong, and then set up a life for me and my younger sister here. Because for me, you know, growing up here, I would always think about the struggles I had as the one child who didn't necessarily speak full Chinese, but then wanted to learn Chinese, but spoke English and then came back home and spoke Hindi. You know, so a lot of these different cultural aspects that I'm sure a lot of people relate to. But what I didn't think about is for, say, my dad or my mom, leaving the country that they've called home, moving to Hong Kong, not knowing much about it at all, not knowing how to speak Chinese, being vegetarian, coming here, setting everything up from scratch. And then doing it to the level where I was able to grow up here and call Hong Kong my home. So I would 100% attribute it to the fact that I'm so lucky to be able to call Hong Kong my home and to adapt to the surroundings that I was given. Mm, Wow. It's so interesting to kind of break down, I suppose, that experience that you've had from a really young age, seeing your parents just rewrite the rule book. And that kind of gives you permission to question everything and rewrite your own rule book. Are you 22 now? Is that right? I just turned 23, like 11 days ago. (laughs) Well, happy birthday. Thank you. I mean, that's in my notes, but I was like, really? You're 23 and you are a true serial entrepreneur. Maybe you can share with the listeners a little bit about all your different businesses and what you're doing. Sure. So I always actually refrain from calling them businesses because I think there's so much of a hype around that word and everyone likes saying it so much. For me, they're truly just at the core of it projects that I feel very passionate about. So probably the one that is the most, you know, people know about the most is Breer. So I'm the CEO and co-founder of Breer, which is a food upcycling startup where we collect surplus bread from bakeries and restaurants and use it to brew local craft beer. So that was kind of our way of bringing sustainability to the alcohol industry, which unfortunately didn't really exist before. And through my pursuit of Breer, I actually realized that unfortunately, bread isn't the only source of food wastage. And you have all these flowers that are going to waste, fruit peels going to waste. There's this very significant, bigger portion of the wastage that is being contributed every day. And so I actually started Somi Cosmetics with my mom to collect all of these flowers and these fruit peels from temples and bakeries respectively, and then use them to create sustainable skincare items. So you can imagine we collected an orange peel um, tub from a bakery that used oranges to decorate their cakes and then used that to create a face pack. So that was something I'm doing. And then the other few, I would say, are just really fun projects. I was involved with Stake, which is an activities marketplace. So during COVID, everybody was talking about how they wanted to travel the world and they wanted to go here to do that and go there to do this. But what a lot of people don't realize is there are a lot of these crazy activities that you can get right here in Hong Kong, but no one knew about them. And because the businesses were struggling and this was their bread and butter, pun intended, it was important that we were able to give them an outlay for people to know about these activities and be a part. Mm, mm, So cool. And how do you split your time? What does a week look like for you? 
Oh, that's a tough question. I think my Google calendar will probably answer this question best, but it really depends. I think the beauty about the kind of life that I'm living and what I love about it most is that it's so spontaneous and I personally love spontaneity. So for example, you'll wake up in the morning and you won't really have anything planned and then suddenly you'll see, oh, there are these networking events at like 5 p.m. that might be really good to go to and then you just go. So it really depends, but I would say the day before, I would rather the night before, I kind of just look through my calendar and understand, okay, this is what I need to do tomorrow and just have my head set in that mindset. And then, yeah, take one day at a time. But one thing that I do try to keep a constant now, especially is I don't miss a workout any day because I think that's what helps keep me grounded and makes me even more excited to do things. Mm, I love that. And tell me, Hong Kong's had a pretty rough ride through the COVID period. I mean, we're really only just coming out of COVID now and the rest of the world's been out for, you know, a year and a half. How has that impacted your businesses? It's crazy because a lot of this change in my life came because of the pandemic. I honestly don't think that I would have been sitting here talking to you about anything that, you know, I've done or that I've been involved with if it wasn't for the pandemic. Because Truly, Breer started at the onset of the pandemic. We realized we wanted to do this just before the pandemic sat in. And I was actually in the U.S. at the time. So I flew back to Hong Kong. And kind of the first thing I was doing was navigating this new normal and trying to find partners to work with. And I think it gave me personally a lot of downtime where there wasn't this expectation of being everywhere physically all the time. In my case, university. So I was still attending class, but I didn't have to be on campus 9 a.m. in the morning till 5 p.m. Instead, you know, if I had, say, two hours where I would have normally spent traveling to and from university, now I could spend those two hours doing something else I enjoyed. So I think for me, it gave me a lot of flexibility. And I'm actually very grateful that as hard as that time was, it came and it went because it gave a lot of people in Hong Kong this idea that there is something beyond our traditional nine to five work hours sitting at your desk all the time. There is this concept of working on the go, working from home, you know, really taking your time and understanding where can I make the most value out of it. And I think that helped me the most. So I would say as hard as it was, and of course, business was difficult. It was really a time to just test everything, test all your abilities, test your adaptability, and just test whether what you're doing is truly something you love and you're passionate about. Mm, That's refreshing. And I love how you can see such a positive impact that just, I suppose, COVID just shook up the way we did things. And it gave us, again, that permission to, to do things differently. Tell me, were you always going to be an entrepreneur? What inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Oh, I was never going to be an entrepreneur. If you asked me maybe six, five, five, six years ago, I this was never in my little career path. I never imagined it. Also because I think, you know, unfortunately, at least early on in my generation, for a very long time, entrepreneurship just didn't see like a career option. Again, everybody would talk about the engineer, about the lawyer, about the doctor, you know, these very classic careers that we have created. But no one really said, oh, I want to grow up and be an entrepreneur. I think today that's changed a lot. I feel like the youth are very much opening up to this concept, whether it's for from reality shows like Shark Tank or whether it's from movies being made about this concept of, you know, being your own boss and hustling. But I think at least when I was growing up, it was just not really an option. I just didn't even know. And I I always say I feel like I accidentally stumbled into this world because even when we started Breer, and frankly, I would say even a year into Breer, I still didn't consider Breer a business. It was for me still something that I just had so much fun doing. Again, it was like a side project for me. 
And it was until I realized that there are people paying their hard-earned money to buy this product that I was like, okay, I need to change my mindset. And now this is a business because I'm accountable to people. And it's important that I do all of the responsibilities I've taken up to the best ability of you know my possibility because people are counting on it and there's actual impact being made. So yeah, it was all you know a chance encounter. And now I'm very open to it. So I still, again, don't really call it entrepreneurship because I think also, you know, you're walking on a slippery slope. In my generation, the word entrepreneurship is also a little bit over-glorized now. Everybody's like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be my own boss. I want to be able to decide my own schedule. But no one really thinks about whether what they're doing is actually adding any value in society or in their target market you know, as a whole. It's just, I think now, become a little bit about, hey, it's one extra thing for me to talk about, and I get to tag myself as an entrepreneur. So I think it's a little bit of a a tricky situation, which is why I try to stay away from this word entrepreneurship. I actually really like it when others call you an entrepreneur as opposed to you calling yourself an entrepreneur, because I feel like it's a title that needs to be earned. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think you raise a really valid point about the label and that people want that label for status as opposed to, is it actually what you're doing? So how big is Brewery now? How many staff have you got? Oh, we have pretty much no staff. So we started off as a team of four co-founders. And um, now we're kind of in the process where it's more or less going to be a team of two co-founders leading the way. And we kind of just have ad hoc people join the movement where and as we can. So we have a volunteering system called the Brewer Runner Program, where we have 4,000 active volunteers. So at any given point in time, if we need to collect any bread or drop it off, then we have this volunteer system to depend on. But again, they're not really staff. They're just people who want to make a difference and have some extra time so they'll help us out. But other than that, yeah, it's really just the two of us. And we're really trying to build this team into something bigger and better. But I think another, you know, thing that I've learned in this experience is it's very hard to find the right people to trust and rely on and especially find the people with the same amount of passion as you. Because yes, they might feel a certain way about one part of the business, but their heart might not be there for the other part of the business. And I think that detracts from what people will look at, you know, you as a company in the light that they'll see you. And so it's been tough. So literally, as we speak, last night, my co-founder and I were at my house crumbing bread. <laughs> literally, I think it was like 18 bags of eight kilograms of bread each, just crumbing it and then coffee grounds. And then we got it sent over to the brewery. So yeah, it's a lot of grunt work that we have to put in ourselves too. <laughs> yeah, wow. And how are you selling the product? So we actually sell in a lot of these bars and bottle shops and restaurants around Hong Kong. There are a few notable ones. We're in Craftismo. We're in uh, Hans, the craft beer bar. But we also did a very cool collaboration with Maxim's Group, which is Hong Kong's largest and oldest bread manufacturer. And they also happen to be a pretty much a very big restaurant group. So we did a collaboration with them called B.O.B., Bottle of Bread, and that's selling in over 200 of their outlets as well. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And so what's been the hardest thing about Brewer besides the people piece? I mean, it sounds quite remarkable what you've created. Tell us some of the pain points that you've had through the journey. For me personally, I would say mentality has been a big thing just because like I, you know, aforementioned, 
I think I just never really expected that there would be this time in my life where I would be working on something that I feel so passionate about and I would be accountable to so many other people. And when I began Breer, it was with three of my closest friends at the time, really no strings attached, no expectations of what's going to happen. It was just, let's just do this fun social innovation competition and see what happens. And I think because it eventually evolved into us having almost clearly defined roles within the business and us having to make, you know, quote unquote, executive decisions about Breer, there was a time where I had to step back and now put my friendships aside and almost treat these conversations as I don't know these people and we're just here because we have this sole motivation, which is Breer. So for me, that was very tough because I went from, you know, always wanting to be in the best position with all of my friends to sometimes having to say, hey, I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying. I personally believe this is, you know, the better way forward. Let's discuss this. As opposed to always being the happy-go-lucky person who's like, yes, 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 let's do everything. So I think for me, that was very difficult because it's just not a position I've been in. And it was a very, very new situation to face. But I'd like to think that I've overcome it now. (laughs) And how did you level up? How did you learn those skills that you needed? I think I just started talking to myself a lot more. And I say this a lot. I think it's a very underrated skill, but I think individuals should just really connect with themselves a little more. And there's no harm in just seriously having a one-on-one conversation with yourself. So I remember whenever I was in those moments, the night after and the night before when I was sleeping, I would ask myself, be like, okay, so this is what I want to say. And I know this is what this person's going to think. And I know this is what this person's thinking. So how can I go the extra mile and find a middle ground and propose that all together as opposed to wait and see, you know, where we can find mutual space. So I think it was just being in tune with myself and being you know, almost confident in myself that everything I'm saying is 100% because I want this to go forward and because I have a bigger goal for this, not for any other reason that it might come across as to anybody else and just being 100% honest with myself. Mm, I love that. That's a really lovely little tip that obviously you're doing the work. You're doing the work thinking through putting yourself in someone else's shoes and and every time you have one of those conversations, I suppose it's like a muscle, you just get stronger and better. Lovely. This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to the launchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. One thing you've been very vocal about is how your identities, especially as a young woman, impact potential partners and vendors. How do you navigate the traditional male-dominated STEM world? Oh, yeah, it's it's a crazy uphill battle, I think. And I don't think I realized for me personally, I think it's a little less about the fact that I'm female and it's a little more about the fact that I'm comparatively younger. I don't necessarily look like every other Hong Konger here, but I can still speak the language and identify as a Hong Konger. I think sometimes it's a little confusing for people to see this triangle that I associate myself with because when you first speak to me, you probably won't be able to guess that I can speak to you in Chinese and it'll be a comfortable conversation. So a lot of times people will approach the conversation with a lot of apprehension or a lot of hesitation, and they just don't even want to take it forward in the first place. So a difficulty I face is there's only so much you can do, you know, through an email or even a cold call. For me, face-to-face kind of interaction time is super, super important. And sometimes it's the hardest part is getting there. So it's been tough, but I think you know, the way to make a stand for it and make it a little more of the norm is just by you pushing through 
and being okay with that change. So I remember one of the first meetings that I had with senior management for a company that we now work with was in their office. And I was, you know, super prepared and I'd spent the whole day and knew all my numbers. I knew everything I needed to talk about. There was nothing they could have asked me about Breer that I didn't know. And I went into the room and I remember opening up the door to like eight senior executives sitting in like suit and ties and like, like almost like ready to, it was like, you know, willfully walking onto a chopping block. And I just opened the door and I was like, oh, wow. And here I am. And at the time I was 19, I'm walking into a room trying to sell a beer business that I barely was legal to drink myself at that time. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't show it on my face, but in my head, I said, it doesn't matter because I'm here to represent Breer and nobody in this room will know Breer better than I do. And so I walked into that room and we had the conversation. And one of the first questions they asked me was in English. And then I could figure that there were certain people who were taking charge and asking questions and certain who weren't. And so I offered and I said, actually, I speak Chinese. If you want, we can do this whole conversation in Chinese. And suddenly the entire room's atmosphere changed. Everybody was so open. They were like, what? Why do you know how to speak Chinese? And I was like, oh, I've grown up here. I went to school here. And they asked me what school I went to because their kids were studying in Hong Kong. They asked me what it was like to study in the local and the international school system. So I I think it's just important to realize that at the end of the day, everybody's human and everybody has some sort of a common experience that you can bond over. It's about how do you get there? And oftentimes that bit is honestly the hardest. It's about overcoming that first hill that will make the most, you know, impact and make it the most difficult. But once that's done, I personally believe it's all smooth sailing from there. Yeah. And I love that story. And it's what strikes me is how it is easier to form that human connection when you're in the same room. And one of the challenges we have today is that so many meetings happen like this podcast where it's virtual and it is a little bit more difficult to to have that human connection. So that's a great story. And yeah, I really get a sense of who you are with that story as well. And that self-talk, you know, that what you're telling yourself to make yourself feel more confident. And you're 100% right. You do know your business better than anyone else. So why would you feel nervous? You know, like you've got this. Yeah, I love that. Exactly. I think, yeah, one of the differences is, you know, when you're in school and you're going to give an exam, I feel it's justified to be nervous because this is an entire subject, right? And you might be interested in it. You might not be interested in it. So you never really know, which is why it's warranted to feel nervous because it is an exam that is testing your abilities. But when people say that they're nervous about, say, public speaking or they're nervous about meetings... I always wonder if whatever they're representing is something they truly feel passionate about. Because if you did, then you should be so confident in it because this is your area. You are the subject matter expert here. There's no one in that room that can look at you or laugh at you or you know say that you said something wrong because you know everything and you've done all that research. So it's so important to give yourself that credit and not feel nervous and instead feel super confident. Like when you walk up on stage, you should feel this aura of excitement and I know I'm going to kill this kind of sentiment coming out of you. And I promise you it resonates in the audience. People feel that energy and just the way they receive what you're going to say is going to be different. So that's something I feel very passionate about too. (laughs) Oh, I love that. 100% agree. And I definitely love your point about the audience feels that energy. So that's so right. You're also a woman of color. Does that impact you as well? Or do you feel like it doesn't really matter? I think unfortunately it does, probably more than the fact that I'm a woman, period. I think the fact that I'm a woman of color 
makes a little bit more of difference. Um, interestingly enough, for Breer, our entire founding team is of color. Same for Stake actually. And so we cosmetics as well, because it's me and my mom. So I think by coincidence, and I just realized this as I said this, but everything that I'm doing is pretty much led by teams where we're all, you know, not necessarily of the color that one expects to be in Hong Kong. But I think part of it also comes with challenging that notion because truly Hong Kong is home for me. If anyone asks me, you know, where I'm from when I'm elsewhere in the world, I always say Hong Kong, even though it's pretty clear that I'm Indian. But Hong Kong is where I've gotten so much of my exposure and so much of my opportunity. So I think it's almost a little unfair for people to just be able to see me and say, no, you don't look like a Hong Konger because what does a Hong Konger look like, right? So I think that was a little bit tough to navigate for me, but I never really let it get to me because in my head, I know I'm a Hong Konger. You can speak to me in Chinese, I'll respond. You can ask me anything about Hong Kong and I will know. You know, I am in tune with the city that I call home. So there's no reason for me to be afraid of it. But I do remember this one episode where we'd actually done, um, when, when I say we, I was representing Bria and I did a Chinese interview. And this was a TV broadcast that was actually, you know, targeted to the greater Bay Area audience, which meant it's not just Hong Kong, but it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more of China. And the interview went live. And I was a little nervous because it was an interview in a language that is not my first language. It was in Cantonese. And sometimes, you know, of course, I can have a human conversation with you. But when you're talking business, there's certain terms you need to know, there's certain jargon you need to know. So that always gets me a little because I'm very new to this whole business aspect of talking in Chinese. And so I did the interview and you know, in terms of reactions and likes and shares, everything was really great. But when you were reading through the comments and I was doing this with my co-founders, there were a few comments that were like, what language is she even speaking? Who speaks this Chinese in China? No one understands this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my friends were asking me because they don't have context. They were like, why, why aren't they understanding your Chinese? And it's because in China, there's so many variations of Chinese and Cantonese is a very, you know, Hong Kong centric or this Guangdong province centric language. And so if people aren't from that part of China, chances are they just won't understand it. And I remember reading a lot of these comments like, since when is a brown girl being able to speak in Chinese, you know, constitute to being a Hong Konger, that kind of thing. And so it made me realize that it's fine. Of course, people are going to say that. But at least now someone in China knows that there's this one Indian girl in Hong Kong who speaks Cantonese and calls herself a Hong Konger. And what she's doing is reducing food waste, right? So for me, the point got, uh, you know, got carried across. But it was just so interesting to me because I think it's a true summary of what social media in our time today is. There's always going to be someone out there who's going to find that one thing that you didn't think of and then talk about it on and on. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, 100%. And there is always going to be that one person that finds something. You were recently on a panel at Launchpad and we loved what you said about being picky with funding and instead of focusing on for competitions and awards. And, and you've won a lot of awards uh, that have helped you get started with your business. Got a list of all the awards here, but can you just talk more about why you chose the competition route over the funding route? I think it was also a chance encounter. But basically, the reason why Breer began was through a competition. It was a social innovation competition that me and my friends wanted to join. And we just thought, okay, might as well use this way to try to solve something that I feel super passionate about, which is food wastage. So it all started there. That's how the research happened. That's how kind of the first steps for Breer started rolling out. And in fact, the only reason we were able to do our first batch of brewing is because we ended up winning that competition and we got 10,000 Hong Kong dollars, I think, 10,000 Hong Kong dollars to actually be able to try it out. And so in that time, again, it, and I'm very glad we didn't, but it was a very easy decision for us to 
split the money four ways and then just have a dinner that probably no one would remember six years down the line. But I'm glad we didn't do that. And instead, we kept the 10,000 and we decided, let's try and see if this bread actually does turn into beer. And we went from there and that gave us a prototype. And then that gave us kind of this foundation to then pitch in more competitions. And I think in Hong Kong and Singapore, these are two areas where the government is so supportive of innovation and technology and startups that there are so many competitions out there that will give you grant money without taking any of your equity. And if you've watched Shark Tank or if you're a startup or a serial entrepreneur, um, you know, yourself, you will know that equity is very, very valuable and everyone fights for every last 0.1%. And so if you're getting these competitions that give you exposure, that give you mentors and give you the chance to win a significant amount of money only for effort that you're putting in, I always feel like that's so much of a better route to take than to go knocking door to door and looking for a potential investor or, you know, a VC firm to back you. And while that may be right, I think in that process, it's almost easier to fall into the trap of who's giving me more money for less of my equity, as opposed to who can add more value into my business for me. And um, because it's just such a sticky trap, I just like to avoid that, at least for as long as I can. Not saying we're not interested in a strategic investment, we definitely are, but it's about the right person or the right agency at the right time. Yeah, perfect. And I think you're right. I think there's so much talk about funding that people do kind of get, I suppose, their blinkers on about other ways to raise money that doesn't cost you equity. And I think 100%, if you can be independent and bootstrap for as long as possible, I think that's really valuable as well. Tell me more about some cosmetics. Like, where's that business at? And what's the big challenge you have in front of you for that business? Yeah, so it's a very, very new baby of mine. and I'm very excited about it. We did a little booth at Discovery Bay in Hong Kong and the reception was really good. We had like eight baby products that we were trying to just test the market with and everyone was super excited. They liked the fact that it's genuinely 100% sustainable and the products were enjoyed. I think we sold out of six of the eight products that we went with, which for me was good reception to say, okay, let's continue doing this. So the challenge, which is where I'm stuck right now, is basically being able to have enough products where the quality is there, but not dead stock inventory. And I think it's difficult to find manufacturers who actually care about your movement. So I've spoken to manufacturers who have given, you know, my kind of look of Somi Cosmetics too. And they're like, okay, but can I just do like an apple cream and just pretend came from the apples that you gave me? And I'm like, no, because I actually want you to use the apples that I gave you, you know, that kind of thing. So sometimes it's about businesses trying to make that money cutting corner and because I don't want to do that, it's a little harder to be able to vet these manufacturers. And like you said, Hong Kong's only just opened up in terms of travel. So I didn't really have the opportunity to get out myself and go there and see how these different companies operate. And so hopefully in 2023, I'll be able to do that more and we'll be able to scale it up. And the goal is to have it almost launched simultaneously in India and Hong Kong and then see how that goes. Cool. That sounds very exciting and a nice challenge. And I can imagine now that you can travel, that will help with that business a lot. You sound incredibly busy. I'm wondering if you could crystal ball gaze. What's your goal for the next five years? Oh, I love this question. I'm a huge manifestation person, as if it wasn't clear already in this conversation. So I really like talking things out into the world and almost hoping of keeping my fingers crossed it'll eventually happen. So my goal is actually for Breer to 
really scale up its impact. So today we've contributed to saving around 15,000 kilograms of bread. And my goal is to hopefully double that number at least by the five years that we're talking about. The goal is definitely to have Somi Cosmetics pick up and have it be, you know, another avenue that people know about where people are able to purchase their skincare products and know that it genuinely is sustainable, not just vegan and not just cruelty free and all of the little tag buzzwords that come with any and every cosmetics brand today. And I think for me personally, it's just to grow to a level where I don't shy away from opportunities where I know I can make an impact and just be in a position to be able to say yes to as many things that I feel passionate about. So I think that's where I want to be. I love it. Okay. Well, um, I could ask you a thousand more questions. It's really, your energy is so delightful and inspiring, but I want to round out our interview with a few rapid fire questions. Firstly, what does community mean to you and your business? Impact. Ooh, I love that. Change is the only constant in business. What do you think entrepreneurs have their eyes wide shut about right now? That change is uncomfortable, but it's the uncomfortable that you need. Oh, yeah. I love that. Okay, great. If you could take on another industry, is there another industry that you'd like to disrupt? Ooh, I actually want to disrupt tech, especially being a woman in tech. I feel very passionate about technology and I think there's a lot of crazy stuff going out there in the world and I want to do something about it and almost put women in tech on the map. Oh, I love that. And I think you should get connected to the Untamed community if you haven't already. Great women-led Web3 community that you would really dig who are members of Launchpad. What is your best business collaboration or partnership? As of now, I would say Maxims. We're so grateful and we're so excited about the impact we've been able to make through it. Oh, that's a really good big one too, right? Do you have a favorite business book or podcast? This one's tough because I don't really listen to business books or podcasts. But if you're asking me of my favorite podcast, I listen to the Wall Street Journal News Roundup podcast a lot. And I really like that because it's very straight to the point, tells you what's happening in the world, what you need to know, what you could potentially do about it, period. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great. Finally, at Launchpad, we believe a rising tide floats all boats. And you probably know a ton of entrepreneurs creating good businesses. But if there was one that you could tap on the shoulder and invite onto this podcast, who would it be? It would be a fellow female entrepreneur who's also in the food waste space, Carla of Chomp. So she's incredible. She's a really good friend. But at the same time, she's working very, very hard to also eliminate a lot of food waste in a different manner, though. So, I mean, I'm probably stealing her thunder. But basically what Chomp does is it's a food saving app where at the end of the day, a lot of these businesses can list out items that they saw potentially weren't going to be sold and then listed at a discount. So people like you and I who might be craving and just didn't know can go and get it at insane steal of a deal. So I think she's doing great work and I really think you'll enjoy speaking to her. (laughs) Oh, I love that business idea. Yes, Carla, I would love to interview you. So if you're listening, reach out. Anushka, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you for your time and your honesty and for sharing your the way your inner world works. It's been really enlightening. So thank you. Thank you, Chris, and amazing work that you're doing always. Thank you for creating this community that we feel like is our second home, Launchpad, and really creating a Launchpad for us all to make bigger impact. <laughs> oh, thanks, Anushka. Thank you. Three takeaways from that episode with Anushka I wanted to share with you. Firstly, I really loved hearing about her backstory and how her parents' journey leaving India and coming to Hong Kong 
actually gave her permission to really question everything and not have to live up to any kind of status quo. So I thought that was really interesting and it makes me think about my own upbringing and how it has shaped me. And I think that's something really interesting to dig into because I think your childhood and your your upbringing and even the relationship you have with parents really does set a lot of foundational beliefs and systems for you as a person. The second thing I wanted to share was I really loved the way Anushka said she doesn't like using the label entrepreneur because she feels like it's over-glorified and that really rather than labeling yourself as an entrepreneur so you can talk to a business, to really think more deeply about what actual value are you bringing society? And then the last thing I found very, very interesting was just, I suppose, her whole approach with her businesses. She really is questioning everything and not following any playbooks, which I find truly inspiring. I love the way she talked about having 4,000 volunteers for Bria and that she will still be at home in the evenings crumbing bread because she's happy to get hands dirty and really get close to the product because she totally believes and is passionate about what she's doing. Fascinating chat, Anushka, incredible human, and I'm so grateful to have spent that hour with you, and I really appreciate your time. I hope you all enjoyed this chat as much as I did, and you feel as inspired as I am to create your own good business. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth so I could go deep with entrepreneurs that truly inspire me. Of course, I also wanted a wider listenership to think about having impact and our wonderful community at Launchpad, where we're all aspiring to create better businesses together. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to leave a review or perhaps share this podcast episode with a friend. That's how podcast episodes get discovered. And I would love more entrepreneurs to think more deeply about their business and about creating a heart-led business with a bigger impact than just profit. And I'm sure you would too. So go ahead and post something on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook and spread the word. I will be forever grateful. Thanks again for listening. And I hope that you feel as inspired as I am to create your own good business.